What does it look like to be a child of God and to live practically as one who has been saved by God? Paul wrote the letter of Romans to the church in Rome because he wanted so desperately to get the gospel to Spain where it had never been before. Those in Spain had never heard the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus came and he died to save sinners. And so he, with a missionary heart, he wanted to take the gospel to Spain, but he longed to visit Rome. And so in lieu of being able to visit the church in Rome, he wants to impart some spiritual strengthening to the church in Rome. He writes them a letter, and in so doing, I believe Paul wrote the greatest theological document, the greatest Christian theological document that has ever been written in the letter to the Romans. Romans 1 through 8 tells us who we are. Thank you, music team. Wonderful job leading us in the word and singing of the word this morning. Uh, It's such a joy to be with you again today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 is where we're going to be this morning. And as you're turning there, I want you to consider with me as we uh, celebrate Christmas, as we celebrate the Advent, the coming of our Lord Jesus into the world. If you were to ask anyone in our community or anyone in our country, what is one word that you think about when you think about Christmas? What is one word that comes to mind when you think about Christmas? Some may say joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. And we look around and we see the lights and we see the festive um, things around us and we think about joy. Or uh, maybe a word that others might think of is the word peace. We Worship the God who peace, uh, who gives peace. Jesus is the one who brings us peace. And as we celebrate Christmas, we think about the tumult. Uh, we even sang about that in the, the hymn earlier, The Church's One Foundation. We think about the, uh, the tumult in our world around us. We think about what we've even been through over these last uh, few years. And we long for peace in Christmas could be a time where we think of the peace that God one day will give, as the hymn says, when we'll be the church at rest. But perhaps no greater word comes to mind than that of the word love. And we just saying they will know we are Christians by our love. Love is the greatest commandment that God has given us. Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is the second one like it. And as Christians, we are people of love. I experienced that just this morning, walking in here. There is no place in the world like the local church. I don't hardly know any of you. I have friendships with a few of you, and uh, but I can walk into a building like this, into a place like this, and immediately have a connection. Immediately be able to share the love and the joy of walking with Christ with you and can stand around donuts and coffee and talk about just what the Lord has done in our lives and 
You and I could go to any gospel preaching local church around this country and around this world, and within minutes we can have that unity. We can have that love because we are the greatest thing that connects us is that we are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so love is the challenge for us today. Uh, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 12. And so allow me to read our text today. We'll start in verse 3 and we'll go to verse 21 to the end of the chapter. Follow along as I read for us. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ According to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, in serv- if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, Verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who bless you. I'm sorry, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would illuminate your text today. God, that we would see by your Holy Spirit your word and that we would hear from you today. Melt the hard hearts, open the deaf ears, give sight to our blindness, Lord. Help us to see 
you for who you are in your word. God, we pray that you would turn our eyes from worthless things and that you would open our eyes that we may see truth, that we may see you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So generally speaking, uh, the first half of Romans is, uh, is all about God's salvation. Paul spends chapter after chapter unpacking the idea of what does it mean to be saved by God. And the second half of Romans is generally what does it look like to live out that salvation are in Christ and what God has done in Christ to bring us to him. Uh, those of us, who, all of us who have been separated by our sin. And in Romans 12, Paul shows us what the, the spirit of life looks like in community with one another in the church. You see the phrase one another mentioned over and over and over again in Romans 12 and in all of the New Testament. Paul not only tells us who we are in Christ, but he tells us who we ought to be in community with one another in the local church. In Romans 12, if you count them, there are over 30 little commands in this text alone. 30 little commands. And they all have to do with how we relate to one another as Christians and how we relate to the world around us. One author put it this way. He said, the gospel does not produce perpetual spectators, but mobilizes hearers to make a difference for others as God has made a difference in them. We love as he has loved us. We serve as he has served us. One pastor puts it this way. Gospel doctrine should produce gospel culture. And what he means by that is to say that we, we ought to care about what we believe. Because what we believe is the most important thing. It will determine where we spend eternity. What we believe about ourselves, what we believe about God, what we believe about Jesus Christ is of utter importance. But what we believe will also impact what we do and how we behave in the local church. And so you may have experienced this before. You've visited or attended a church that may have all the right things to say in the sermon and May, you may see uh, the, the scriptures and the gospel taught in the, in the pulpit and in the Sunday school rooms, but the gospel is nowhere near the life of the local church. People do not love one another. People do not serve one another. People do not practically live out the gospel. And gospel living and gospel culture must flow from gospel doctrine. What we believe impacts what we do. And I think as we look at Romans 12, we have some challenges before us as we think about, as Peter says in his second letter, in light of the truths of the gospel, what kind of people ought we to be? Who should we be? What kind of people ought we to be in light of the gospel? So our main idea, if you're a note taker, I want to encourage you to write this down. The main idea for our text today is we belong to one another. 
We belong to one another. Therefore, let us take care of one another. We belong to one another. Therefore, let us take care of one another. How do we do that? How do we do that? Point number one. We serve one another through spiritual gifts. We serve one another through spiritual gifts. Paul introduces the idea here in Romans 12 about spiritual gifts. The topic of spiritual gifts is quite broad, and for the sake of time today, we're not going to have time to dig into all that the Bible has to say about spiritual gifts. But know this, if you are a Christian, if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you have been gifted by God in some way. God has given you a gift He has given you a skill to use within the body of Christ. And every single one of us, no matter how useful or useless we may feel, every single one of us has been given a gift by the Spirit to serve in the local church. God has given each one of us a job to do. And Paul mentions different gifts here in the text. He mentions Prophecy and service, teaching and exhortation and contribution and generosity and leadership and acts of mercy. We, uh, and we know there are even more gifts that Paul mentions in other letters. But no matter if your gift is a front in front of the scenes type of gift and teaching, or maybe it's a behind the scenes gift through serving and Setting things up, tearing things down, building things, helping, uh, hospitality. Every single one of us has a job, a role that God has called us to do in his church. And the idea of having a spiritual gift is rooted in the idea of humility and service. Paul says, let me read again. He says, verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We belong to one another. When when God saves us into his family, he doesn't save us on an island by ourselves, but he brings us into a family. And when we are brought into God's family, we no longer live our lives for our own agenda. But we lay our lives down for Christ, and for Christ's people. We have a responsibility to one another. That's what it means to be a part of a family. When I go to visit my mom, I know my job is to, uh, to bring food and to help uh, bring things to do and games, and my job is to help set the table and to help clean up. And when we gather together as a family, we have a job. We have a responsibility to take care of one another. And that is our job as the church of Jesus Christ. We serve one another. We lay our preferences down. We lay our lives down for the sake of one another. Paul talks about this as well. We're not going to turn there, but if you want to write this verse down, Philippians 2, verses 3 to 4. Philippians 2, 3 to 4. Listen to what Paul says. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. So Paul calls us to lay our agenda down, to check our agenda when we come to the church, to check our agenda at the door. So when I walk through these doors, my job is to think about how can I serve other people? How can I build other people up? This is the kind of people we ought to be. He says in the text, he says, do do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment. He says, having gifts, let us use them. Paul's concern is that each person in the church uses their gifts in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given. And so as we use our gifts We don't use our spiritual gifts in our own strength, but we use them according to the faith that God has given us. And so he uses the example of prophecy. So those who proclaim the word of God, those who preach God's word, he says, do it in proportion to your faith. What does he mean there? What he means is that it is our job to preach and to teach those of us who God has called to preach, to preach in his strength and not in my own strength. So my job as the preacher and Pastor Andrew's job week to week here is to come and to preach God's word, not in his own skill and his own talent, but to preach according to the faith that God has placed in his heart and to do it in the strength of the Lord. And those of us who serve, if it's your job to make coffee and to bring the donuts and to clean, you do that serving others, not in your own strength, but in the strength that God has given. And that's what makes it easier to do, because if we lean into our own strength and our own capabilities, we will fail. It is hard to deny ourselves. It is hard to humble ourselves. It's hard to serve others. We need God's help to do that. And so as we use our spiritual gifts, whatever it is that God has called you to do, they are meant to not highlight our strength, but they are meant to highlight the strength and the glory, not of the one who has been gifted, but the giver of the gift. Because when I lay my life down and when I serve other people, I'm not magnifying myself. I'm not putting the spotlight on myself but I'm putting the spotlight on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is our job. A church like Haven Baptist or a church like my church, Point Mallard and Decatur, a church that's active in the ministry of the word where spiritual gifts are being used and, um, and a church where that is marked by sacrificial humility In their act, in their behavior, in what they do, they are saying something about the gospel. So when when a church is engaged in the ministry and they're working hard to serve others and to serve the community, their lives match what they teach. And they magnify the glory of God and the gospel of God. Gospel doctrine should lead to gospel culture. The culture of your church should be shaped by the good news of Jesus Christ. And he carries this idea of selfless sacrifice all throughout the rest of Romans 12. He says, 
Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. He says, never be wise in your own sight. He says, do not be slothful in zeal, but serve in the Spirit. Serve in the Lord. Living in the body of Christ requires humility. But point number two, not only do we use our spiritual gifts, but point number two, we show genuine affection for one another. We show genuine affection for one another. Paul says, let love be genuine. And and so this may lead us to ask the question, how can God command me to do something that I don't feel? There may be uh, those of us today who this is a true struggle for serving in the church is loving other people. Perhaps you've been hurt by the church. Perhaps there's someone in the church who has sinned against you. Or maybe you feel burnt out from serving year after year after year. How, how can the Lord command me to do something that I don't feel like doing? Is love just a feeling? No. Love is rooted in what we believe about God and what we believe about other people. And so when it is hard for us to obey this command of Paul to let love be genuine, we have to take the weariness and the struggles that we experience and we have to take those to the Lord and lay those before him and ask him for help. Again, we don't serve in our own strength. We don't love in our own strength. We love and serve in the strength of the Lord. And so if you are, as Paul says in Galatians today, if you're here and you're growing weary and doing good, I want to encourage you today. The Lord understands. The Lord knows how hard it is. How do we know that he understands? Because he he took on flesh. He came, Hebrews 4, he came. He's a sympathetic high priest. He knows what it's like to experience the temptation of growing weary. He knows what it's like to experience the temptation of being selfish. But he, brothers and sisters, he is a perfect high priest who never sinned. And we have strength from him because he understands our plight. He understands how hard it is to, to lay our lives down and to love others. And he can help us do that when it's difficult. I remember early in ministry, I... I started, uh, I started serving in church staff ministry uh, just right out of high school. One of the first jobs I ever had was a middle school minister. And uh, I tell you what, if you want a lesson in sanctification, go and be a middle school minister. <laughs> Hang out with middle school students all the time. Uh, and I love it. I actually do love serving students. I love, I love middle school students and junior high students. Uh, I learn a lot uh, from them. But in this season of my life, uh, I remember being young and prideful. And I remember thinking uh, so many times as a young minister, I could, the church is not doing this right. I could do this better. Or thinking, uh, being frustrated with leaders over me. In that season of my life, I resisted authority. I didn't like authority very much. And I found it difficult to lay my pride down and my life down. And uh, that was 
you know, almost uh, 20 years ago, as I think about it. And just recently, I had the opportunity to go to lunch with my boss, the pastor at the time, uh, when I was young and serving in that staff ministry. And I sat across the table from him, and I just confessed to him, I was so prideful when I was serving in that role. And I talked to him about how much I had learned about the church and how much I had learned about the Lord and how much I had learned about myself. And it was good for me to go through a lot of life and a lot of hardships and difficulty. It was good for me to experience the, um, the difficulties of life because in that the Lord taught me to lay my pride down and to lay my arrogance down. And I certainly have a lot of work to do in this area. But it was good for my soul to sit across the table from my previous pastor and confess that to him. And for him to show me grace and to encourage me. Uh, and I just want to encourage you today, if you are experiencing a challenging season in the, in the life of the church, I want to encourage you to, to open your eyes, open your mind, open your ears to what the Lord is trying to teach you and tell you. He has you where you are for a good, sovereign purpose. And I want to encourage you, don't grow weary in doing good. Open your heart to what the Lord is teaching you about himself and about yourself. Amen. If we're going to be genuine, if we're going to love in accordance with how God has created us to love, we need to resist the urge to be fake. It's so easy to come to church and to put a happy face on. But this is not the place for fake Christianity. This is a place for deep, genuine Christianity. It's a place for us to be open and saying, I'm struggling. I need prayer. I need help. I need encouragement. We, we need to be vulnerable with one another and genuine with one another. We also need to be willing to serve others by entering into others' worlds and bearing with them in hard seasons and difficult seasons. We need to be willing to be empathetic and to step in the pain and the suffering of others. Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Brothers and sisters, let us strive to show genuine affection for one another because by our love they will know we are Christians so number one we use our spiritual gifts number two we show genuine affection for one another number three live in harmony with one another live in harmony with one another conflict is inevitable in this life, we will experience conflict. We will disagree with one another. We will have, we will experience conflict. It is inevitable. But what is not inevitable is division and hatred. As Christians, we do not have to give into the enemy's temptation to allow division and hatred to mark our fellowship with one another. Even those that we would consider our enemies, Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. He says, repay no one evil for evil. He says, 
If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. He says, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. He says, he ends the chapter by saying, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In the church, we who are connected with one another by the love of Jesus Christ should make every effort to have peace and unity. When we come to the Lord's table and celebrate the Lord's Supper, Paul urges us not to do that when we have unresolved sin between us, between brothers and sisters in Christ. We should be diligent to go and resolve conflict and resolve division. The only way we can do that is in the strength of the Lord. The only way we can do that is if we resist our sin and we embrace the gospel of Christ. We allow the gospel to inform how we relate to one another. There's no place for blame shifting in God's kingdom. No matter how poorly we are treated, whether that is inside the church or outside the church, we should never respond sinfully. Think about the example of Christ. When he, laid, when, he, when he was crucified, He laid His life down willingly. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have to process the pain and the difficulty when we're mistreated. It doesn't mean that we don't trust people. There are some people in our lives we, we may not award trust to, but we always show love. Always show mercy. Always show forgiveness. We treat others as, as Christ has treated us. We show hospitality to one another. Uh, I mentioned this earlier, that we get involved in one another's lives. And there is a small verse just a couple chapters ahead in Romans fifteen seven. Paul says, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. How has Christ welcomed us? A brother just prayed earlier. Our sin required the blood of Jesus Christ. That should bring us to a place of wonder and awe and marvel at the grace of God. Christ Jesus, even though we were sinners, He willingly laid His life down for us. Christ did not let our sin stand between us having a relationship with Him. If we will simply turn from our sin and trust in Christ, He opens the door and He welcomes us and He shows us grace and mercy and forgiveness no matter what. Amen. Christ has welcomed us with no conditions. You don't have to be good enough to receive the grace and the mercy of God. You don't have to be smart enough to receive the goodness and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. You don't have to have your life together. All you have to do is run into the arms of Jesus Christ. Amen. Welcome one another as Christ Jesus has welcomed us. How can we demonstrate God's love to a lost and dying world? We can open our arms and welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us.
one practical way to do this in the local church is practicing the, the discipline of showing honor to one another. Showing honor. Paul, he calls for a little competition in Romans 12. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. Compete with one another to see who can show honor to one another. If you want to see a church come alive, if you want to see the power of the gospel begin to work, then take time to demonstrate honor to one another. Honor those who serve. Honor those who labor in the word week and week after week after week. Honor those who show up and clean the church faithfully and organize the ministries faithfully. Take time to publicly and privately show honor. Because when we do that, we are demonstrating the grace of God at work in that person. It's not for that person's glory. It's not for your glory, but it's for the glory of the one who is working. Outdo one another in showing honor. And so as we close today, the challenge before us is that we should love one another as God in Christ has loved us. At the beginning I mentioned what is the one thing, what's the one word you think about when you think about Christmas? Is it, is it joy? Is it peace? Is it love? I want to challenge you. The one word that we should think about is Jesus. Amen. Jesus Christ is the reason we celebrate Christmas. He is the reason that we gather every Sunday because Jesus did not stay in a manger but Jesus walked the hill of Calvary. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. And He rose again to secure salvation for you and me. And those of us who place our faith and our trust in Him will find life, will find welcome, will find love and joy. And I can think of no better way to demonstrate to the watching world around us the power of the gospel by loving one another and serving one another and honoring one another as we worship the risen Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the fact that the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. God, we are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It is for His glory we gather together today. It is for the honor of His name. Father, I pray today that anyone who is here who does not know Jesus Christ, that You, by the power of Your Spirit, will open their eyes to see the beauty of Jesus. God, I pray that you would continue to, to use Haven Baptist Church as an outpost for your glory and your kingdom in this community. I thank you for the faithful presence of these dear brothers and sisters who have shown up here year after year to magnify your name. God, I pray for Pastor Andrew and Megan. God, that you would embolden them 
encourage them as they've taken time away this week that they serve a church that loves them. God, we want to honor the work that you are doing through Pastor Andrew and his family. God, we ask that you would strengthen him as he continues to lead this church for the glory of God, for the deacons, for the leaders, for the teachers in this church. God, that you would help them not grow weary in doing good, but that you would empower them to demonstrate gospel doctrine and gospel culture in this community and to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, I'm going to turn the service.